Hello, this is David Gork, Head of Public Policy at McFarlane's, and welcome to the latest in our Policy in Practice podcasts, where today we're going to talk tax policy. I'm delighted to be joined by Rhiannon King-Ware and uh, Bizan Salahi uh, to discuss tax policy. Now, we're, we're doing this um, within a few minutes of Liz Truss uh, resigning as leader of the Conservative Party and uh, therefore ceasing to be Prime Minister uh, very shortly. Uh, and so there's a certain amount of uh, policy that perhaps is up for grabs. It will, of course, depend upon who is Prime Minister. Possibly by the time you're listening to this, uh, we will have a new Prime Minister. Um, but before we turn to, to, to questions with uh, Rhiannon and Bizan, uh, uh, let me just sort of set the context here. Uh, wasn't that long ago, 23rd of September, that we had uh, a mini-budget, a statement by the then-Chancellor of the Exchequer, Kwasi Kwarteng, where he set out plans for tax cuts. Uh, that, of course, produced uh, a run on the pound, uh, government uh, borrowing costs uh, going up. Uh, the Chancellor was then sacked, replaced by Jeremy Hunt, and we've seen a lot of those measures that had previously been announced uh, reversed, and we'll come to those uh, in a moment. We're now in the context with a Prime Minister on her way out, um, but another fiscal event happening on the 31st of October, and the Treasury is saying that is still going to happen, uh, where very much the focus appears to be on recovering market credibility, making sure that the markets are confident in the UK and the sustainability of the public finances. Um, so that is where the Chancellor um, will be focused. Uh, Jeremy Hunt has said he's not running for the leadership, um, but there must be a very good chance that he will carry on as Chancellor, given that he seems to have restored quite a lot of market confidence since his appointment. So let's... Um, Let's look at what uh, was announced on the 23rd of September and what is no longer uh, in place. So let me turn to uh, Rhiannon. Talk us through the measures and what survived. So when um, we had the mini-budget in September, I think Quasi tagged it as a tax-cutting and tax-simplifying fiscal statement. But I think it's fair to say there isn't really much evidence of, of either in what in what remains. Um, although I guess as there are so few measures left actually that might be an act of simplification in and of itself. Um, I think given all the changes that we've had obviously as David you've just mentioned we now have a new Chancellor in Jeremy Hunt and so we can probably all be forgiven for losing track or perhaps even losing the will uh, to live on, on where we actually stand on, on tax policy and the various measures that have been announced. So perhaps just taking a look at what's been reversed. So the policy to maintain the corporation tax rate at 19% has been reversed. So the rate will in fact rise to 25% from April 2023, we, we understand as it as it currently stands. Um, it shouldn't be forgotten that this rate increase obviously comes after a decade of base broadening. So the yield on that increase in corporation tax will um, will will be significantly more than, than uh, when those cuts were, were first introduced back in 2010. Um, 
The basic rate of income tax, um, that will remain at 20% indefinitely, and that reverses Kwasi's plan to cut the basic rate of income tax to, to 19%. Also, the reduction in the dividend tax rate, that was designed in lockstep with the NICS reversal, but, as, but that's now actually been abandoned, so the highest rate, the additional rate, will remain at 39.35%. We've also seen a reversal on the IR35 off-payroll rules, and um, this will no longer be reversed, so the responsibility to determine employment status will remain with the end users, i.e. the businesses, rather than the individual or intermediary. And this was one of the measures that the Chancellor had actually argued was about removing complexity in the tax system. But I think the, the revenue attached, I think some $2 billion, probably suggest that some people have had or that it was suspected would have difficulty complying with it. So whether it actually was simplification or not, um, there was an open question. On the, the measures that have been retained, it's quite a small, small bucket. Um, Jeremy Hunt has decided to push forward with reversing the 1.25 percentage point increase in NICS and to cancel the health and social care levy. Um, that um, increase in NICS took effect um, earlier in the year and it will be reversed from 6th of November this year. The Act is in the final stages and it is expected it's likely to receive royal assent soon. The stamp duty land taxes, they've also um, survived the acts, and I think, I guess the assumption there is that that will keep the property market um, more buoyant than um, was perhaps anticipated. And the annual investment allowance, that's been permanently set at one million and Jeremy Hunt has, has kept to that pledge, so that, that hasn't changed. I think it remains to be seen what the government's approach will be around investment allowances, though, given that much higher corporate tax rate. And then finally, the employee and venture capital share schemes reforms, they'll also still move ahead. There's perhaps just another bucket, and I think there's still some uncertainty um, around um, a couple of aspects. Um, on, on the bank surcharge, I think some of the banks are bracing for, for a hit. It's, it's unclear whether the 8% surcharge on profits that's applied on top of the 19% corporation tax rate will actually stay when the rate is increased to 25%. When that rate to 25% was first introduced um, by Rishi Sunak, the surcharge was also set to drop to 3%. Um, but a decision is said to be coming um, at the end of the month in that uh, further fiscal statement on the 31st of October. And then investment zones, this was obviously a big part of the growth plan that was announced in, in September. But I think there's still some uncertainty around the prospect of these in terms of the number of them and the extent of the relief, as I think there is some fear within Treasury that these are an open checkbook. And with 100% business rates, enhanced capital allowances, employers' NICS relief and SDLT relief all under consideration. I think there is some concern as to whether they are actually affordable or not. Yeah, I think that's right. And I think the Treasury have been pushing to scale those back. I think the Treasury traditionally very sceptical about these things. Uh, in a post-trust world, uh, I'm not sure that the tax elements of that in particular are going to survive 
very much at all. That that, that could also be a further U-turn um, with, with a new Prime Minister. Yeah, certainly from a policy perspective and even just an affordability perspective, they, it both is questionable. Very good. Um, no, thank you for all of that. And of course, one thing they haven't um, reversed is the abolition of the Office of Tax Simplification. Um, and I don't think enough attention has been paid to the, the role that policy announcement has had in the government unravelling. But there you go. Perhaps I'm biased on that front. Um, now, can we can we look at the sort of international angle here? Because <clears throat> what we haven't heard very much about is the OECD work and Pillar 2, uh, and also the sovereign immunity reforms. Um, so, Bizan, where, where are we with, with those? Um, thanks, David. I think it's difficult to say anything particularly definitive about where we are with those given the given current circumstances, um, except to say that although we're tremendously interested in issues like Pillar 2 and sovereign immunity, they're very much second order compared to some of the other things the government have been grappling with. I feel pretty confident that ministers won't have spent much time over the past month or two thinking in detail about them. Um, during the, the previous Conservative leadership campaign, um, Liz Truss and some of her supporters made some fairly negative noises about Pillar 2, and I think it, it clearly does clash with their ideological position on tax competition and tax sovereignty. And that possibly engendered a sense among comment, some commentators that um, they take a negative view of Pillar 2 and possibly not pursue it. Um, sovereign immunity wasn't explicitly discussed, but I think, again, it's something that instinctively you might have expected them to be sceptical about. Um, I think that's now been turned completely on its head. I think the government clearly needs revenue and is looking at a range of sources. And Jeremy Hunter said that difficult decisions will need to be taken on tax and spending to, to close the fiscal gap. Well, I think both Pillar 2 and reforming sovereign immunity are comparatively easy decisions at least politically. Um, it doesn't seem likely that many British voters with soaring energy bills will be objecting to tax rises that either target multinationals or um, foreign sovereign wealth funds. So I think that either under a Conservative government or possibly a future Labour one, it's increasingly likely that those reforms will be going ahead. Yeah, no, I think that, um, that sounds uh, very likely. And, and, and you raise a really important point in terms of the, the fiscal challenges. As I say, we're still set to have this statement on the 31st of October. The Chancellor, whoever that's likely to be, but the chances are that will be um, Jeremy Hunt, you know, has got a big task in terms of getting the public finances sorted. Uh, they need to essentially fill a, a, a black hole that the IFS, the Institute for Fiscal Studies, identified as being £70 billion. I think the announcements that we've already heard, the, some of the re additional reversals that we've heard from the government, perhaps fills £30 billion of that. Perhaps if they can get that sort of risk premium down, um, that maybe is £10 billion. But to do that, they probably need to also fill that gap. They need to find another £30 billion from spending cuts and tax increases, that's not going to be straightforward, and they really have to deliver it by the 31st of October. So we, we'll probably have a new Prime Minister, let us say, by the 7th, sorry, the 25th of um, October, and a week or so later, just under a week, we're going to have that statement. They're going to have to make some big decisions. That probably does mean some big tax increases. 
Uh, and uh, to do that, they probably need, need to use the big tax levers. That's income tax, national insurance contributions, or VAT. So that's going to be you know, very, very difficult. They may try to get some sort of smaller taxes, um, more focused on businesses, perhaps, as a, as, a, as a means of raising revenue. But that's going to be quite, quite difficult. Um, um, and there is, of course, this whole debate about how do we get higher levels of growth, which is what Liz Truss was trying to kick off a debate about that. Um, and But you know, it's not going to be in the context of cutting taxes. Maybe it's a move towards a more efficient tax system somehow, but that's going to be very hard to deliver in just a couple of weeks. Um, Rhiannon, what's your thoughts on, on, on what next for, for, for tax policy going forward? Yeah, well, it's it's clear that the government will have to shift into revenue raising mode, um, which is not unusual. We have we have been there before, but as you say, David, the challenge is whether it can link up with that pro growth um, endeavour at the same time um, and try and calm the markets with some sort of fiscal discipline. Um, in in the short term, I think. The idea around a pledge of no new taxes, that was um, the platform that Liz Truss stood on. That's that's unlikely to to sustain, obviously, without her without her in office. It opens up the possibility. So, um, as you say, David, obviously, the the big taxes will will potentially have to do the heavy lifting. But there are other things that perhaps have been collecting dust, things like the online sales tax that might be dusted off. There might be further appetite to to look at windfall taxes. There's obviously the debate around uh, the bank surcharge and also in in the energy sector with renewables also under threat as well as the oil and gas industry. Um, There are perhaps other vulnerabilities. Um, Rishi Sunak tasked the OTS with looking at the alignment of tax rates between capital gains tax and income tax. Again, that that could be dusted off. And of course, it's not unknown for a Tory chancellor to look at equalising the rates. And the Labour Party are very vocal on closing in on the non-DOM regime, and that might also prompt the Tories to to take stock of the regime and perhaps get ahead of the curve there. But I think with, um, as I say, the the, um, the fiscal environment, there's there's no chance really for for giveaways and the prospect of real tax simplification, as you mentioned, David. Obviously, with the closure of the Office of Tax Simplification, it feels like that that might be um, rather muted. Yeah, I think um, just pick up one point there on on non-DOMs. If the new Prime Minister is Rishi Sunak there may be more political pressure on him to address the non-DOMS issue than was previously the case. So that's, that is one to, to look out for. Absolutely, yeah, get ahead of um, any potential election campaigning. Yes, indeed. Um, Biza, let's turn to what next in terms of the policy-making cycle. Um, I appreciate that asking you to predict ahead in current circumstances is perhaps a little unfair. Um, who was predicting any of this happening this way? But... Um, yeah, what's going to happen next in terms of budgets and finance bills and so on? I think you definitely have saved the most difficult question to, to answer, David. <laughs> so I think in order to answer it, I'm just going to think about what are the, the fundamental things that absolutely have to happen um, in terms of the policy making cycle. And I think there are two aspects to that. So the first one is that at some point before the end of the um, 
tax year, the government needs to bring forward a finance bill to renew income tax and ensure that taxes can be collected, which is a slightly arcane concept that sort of remember from, from A-level history, but now it's something we need to think about. Um, the government will need to do that before the end of the, the tax year, um, but it has some flexibility about whether it does that sooner or later. I think if a new leader comes in and they believe they need to do something immediate on tax, that could point towards an earlier finance bill. But unless there's something quite significant that needs to happen, I think there is time for the government to wait, have a finance bill in the spring alongside a, a, a budget and legislate any tax changes then, even if those changes are being announced, announced sooner. And they'll be thinking that a finance bill right now could be quite a difficult challenge. Um, it's a vehicle by which the opposition can attack the government in Parliament. There might be controversial measures that government MPs um, used to put pressure on on, on the government. Um, so that might seem quite unattractive. I think the second thing that needs to happen is a legislative requirement to have at least two OBR forecasts each year. And that's obviously something that's provoked controversy in the past few weeks. Uh, as you said earlier on, I think the first of those is still slated to happen on 31st of October, and it seems quite unlikely that will be pulled, given the turmoil we've seen in, in markets recently. Um, probably the next one would come alongside a budget and finance bill. So um, going for what I said a moment ago, probably in the spring of, of next year. Um, but what I'd say is that definitely our listeners shouldn't go betting any money on any of this because it's all incredibly uncertain. And frankly, anything could happen. Yeah, no, that's that's. I'm sure that's right, and I do wonder if they do come forward with some big controversial tax increases on the 31st of October, and all of this is about reassuring the markets that they might want to move very quickly and potentially have a, a you know a standalone bill or an additional finance bill that just takes those measures yeah. through. Uh, you know, remembering back to 2010, I think when we had VAT increases that were announced. Um, in the June budget after the general election, and we took we took a sort of separate finance bill through. It had some other things in it, but it was basically the VAT bill in order to to kind of get that through. Uh, yeah, and I, I definitely think there's value for government in getting their MPs to nail their cards to the mast on a controversial measure quite early, so that um, it's harder for them to row back on that later on. Yeah, and uh, and the markets might find that reassuring. So, you know, if that's the that is going to be the purpose of the early months of the premiership of whoever it might be, um, then, then maybe sort of nailing that down uh, very quickly. So the exciting news is maybe we'll have an extra finance bill. So they, they come round almost as fast as new chancellors. So leaves me just to thank uh, Rihannon and Bizan uh, for their contributions. Many thanks for listening in to this McFarland's Policy in Practice uh, podcast. And hope you'll join us again uh, for the next one. Thank you.